And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Athletic MBA Show. Monday through on the Athletic Podcast Network. This is Nerder She Wrote with your host, Dave Dufour. With Mo DeKeel. Are you ready to be entertained? And Seth Partnow. Welcome to the Athletic NBA Show. It's Friday. I'm Dave Dufour. And that means it's Nerder. She wrote, joining me, as they do each and every week, Seth Bartnow and Moda Kiel. What's up, guys? It was disdainful, she wrote this week. Yeah, it was just, we're just getting through it, man. Like, you know, right. I, this right. is like the banter portion of the podcast that I normally just jump through anyway. I'm tired, so I don't have as much... Uh, uh, banter and, my, and and mean vigor to come at Dave and Seth today. So we'll Miami sure nightlife. Something for me. Not even. I'm too old. My, man. I was, South I was undefeated. I was. I'm too old. Like the, the everybody wanted to go to the next spot, and I was like, my next spot's the hotel. I'm gone. Nice. So, and I'm still yeah. tired. Have you been to the beach at all out there? I mean, you know, no, like, uh, it's I live a different in a different world in like California. I, yeah, but the I, water out uh, there is so warm, and it's I'm so not going, crystal I'm clear. Here for work. Business trip, Dave. See, business trip. I'm here for work. Pumping yeah, out one is... mo things and all sorts of things uh, with 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 that. Yeah, this is why I didn't go. I mean, who wants to go to Miami and be stuck in a hotel working? That that just doesn't sound like a good time to me. Uh, guys, game three was last night. We're recording this Thursday. Game three was last night. The Nuggets looked like the Nuggets team that that we have come to respect and appreciate no longer pat on the head like the kid brother of the league Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic made history becoming the first teammates to ever have a 30 point triple double in the same game in any game much less game three of the NBA finals um I just you know I want to start with those two guys I mean this is basketball being played at the highest level literally the most intense competition and they are just they absolutely obliterated the Miami Heat last night those two dudes were on another planet I mean they were phenomenal just in the the sense of the chemistry and everything that we've kind of expected from how they play together and so on it was interesting Dave because the first half of this game I thought it was there were only four players playing well in this game Jokic and Murray for for Denver and I thought Bam and 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 Butler for uh, the heat. And then I was just thinking, well, like somebody else has to step up for one of these teams, whoever gets somebody to do that, it's going to change the game. And yes, somebody Mm -hmm. did step up, Dave. Yeah. Well, Christian Brown put up 15 points off the bench and the nuggets won by 15. Now like 40, it doesn't like 40, right? But it, it now it doesn't always work out that way. So nicely, but that's really what happened. I mean, Christian Brown, um, is kind of just found money for them. I mean, he, he's he been a nice player, and he has actually done stuff for them during the playoffs. But 
they really figured something out with him in game three. And Mo, you did the one Mo thing today on, on Christian Brown and the way that the Nuggets sort of solved that Miami zone, which we've been talking about since, you know, I don't know, the Bucks series. Uh, it's almost an amoeba. It's like a matchup zone. They're able to switch into back into man. And it was throwing the Nuggets off a little bit. Uh, but Christian Brown and his cutting was kind of the key to breaking that. Well, I think that if you go back to game two and you watch it and in the in the zone cliffs, the Nuggets spent way too much time trying to enter the ball into the post, into the high post, excuse me, to right. Jokic. They were trying and to get him at the nail, yeah. And the Heat did a great job denying it, even with the smaller guys, Gabe Vincent fighting and battling with them and all of that. And then in game three, they moved him to the post. And that changed everything because as soon as they moved him to the post – a lot of times the Heat would have three, four guys basically on the strong side and it'd be a two-on-one on the weak side and then there were just great cutting action. It was, you know, there's one example where Jeff Green cuts along the baseline and then Brown cuts and it's like, you know, Duncan Robinson sitting there going like, I got to defend both of these dudes cutting? Like, I can't do that. It was too much. It was also, they also used him entering the ball to him in the, in the high post as a post up. There was a lot more times where he would, uh, in, in game two, it would be, you know, whether it was Vincent or, or Martin, whoever, was sort of three-quartering, kind of semi-denying him the ball. Uh, this game, he was able to really get the ball with them on his back, and then he basically just turned, dribbled twice, and put them in the basket with the ball. Or if they came and doubled, then he hit, he hit someone on a cut. Um, and, and so he just kind of was, they, really we want to talk about like one, Thing that did like one weird trick Denver did to win the game. It's like, oh, we're much bigger than these guys. Let's play like it. And it started with Jokic. Well, I mean, that was a secret to game one is that the Nuggets were just so much bigger. And now, you know, Michael Porter Jr. was a big part of that. I mean, just his size and, and length in general. And then, you know, Christian Brown gets the minutes over him last night. You guys have any problem with that whatsoever? I mean, I, I don't think it's that big of a deal. I think the only issue I have is sort of it's being talked about like MPJ got benched. I thought he had a rough first half. I thought he had a very good stint in the third quarter. And then Brown came in and was great. And so they just didn't go back to him. I mean, the Nuggets, it's not unusual for the Nuggets to close with Bruce Brown instead of MPJ anyway. So it's just sort of that start of the fourth quarter slot that Brown was doing a lot of stuff. And 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 Malone rolled with him rather than it wasn't I don't I wouldn't describe say it was like a punishment for MPJ or something like that. Well, that's how it's being spun and it's beginning to piss me off. And I think that's really one of the problems with with what we're looking at. He did a great job hustling on a rear view contest in the and I know I'm picking like small small plays, but this is from a dude who is struggling all series. And we know we know when his offense struggles, his defense falls apart and things like that. And he was making some effort plays. You know, the rear view contest, he had a great offensive rebound that ended up turning into an Aaron Gordon bucket because he missed a shot. And I think like there was just a lot of stuff where I thought his effort in the second half was much better. And I think that's part of it. He didn't make shots. And and I'm, I understand Michael Malone going like, yo, Christian Brown's on a heater. I'm not taking him out. Yeah. he's. I mean, you're, you're, you're rolling at that point. And I think that's one of those things there. Did he probably lose some minutes to Brown? Maybe. That's fine, though. Like, it's one of those things where, like, I could also see him coming out in game four, hit his first three shots, and then we're talking about, like, wow, this was the MPJ game. Like, it's it's not out of the realm of possibility there. I just think with the, the narrative shifts too quickly to, 
you know, oh, he, he had a terrible first quarter, atrocious defensively, and then everybody wants to start piling on. And I felt bad even in game two. Everybody's blaming him for the mistakes in game two. And I thought a lot of other guys were bad and awful. You know, some of those Struce threes that he got was Jamal Murray and Aaron Gordon fucking up a switch. Um, you know, KCP showing and not really communicating with Porter that, you know, it, it, showing and, and recovering is not the same as switching. And there's a lot of stuff there in that stuff. I feel like he gets hung out to dry a lot. And I think that's kind of the the unfairness a little bit of the narrative game. Well, he had some big defensive plays in game one. The biggest thing for me with, with MPJ, and it's been like this, I mean, his whole career, is that he came out early on. I thought he just kind of looked out of it in game two, just not connected on, on either end, really. And you mentioned if his if his offense is kind of failing him, his defense starts to, to fall behind. What stinks about this for MPJ? He's getting good looks, mostly. I mean, there's a couple where he's forced, but he's mostly had good looks, and they're dropping in and coming out. Like, these are, like, makeable shots. They're not, like, hard ones. And he's not missing by much, but he's missing by enough that it looks like he's having an awful night when, you know, his one for five could have easily have been four for five from three. And I mean, these are the, the sort of misses that he's had. So, I mean, that's rough. But Christian Brown's defense on the perimeter and speed has actually been, I think, a game changer for the Nuggets. I mean, he's just so much faster than, than Michael Porter, able to jump some of those passing lanes. And it's a guy that Miami's had to think about a little bit more uh, on the defensive end. I, I think even that's going too far. I don't want to say that, like, represent it like, like uh, MPJ's defensive activity keyed Denver or anything like yeah. that. But I think it was emblematic of the way from the start of the third quarter, their level of defensive activity across the board was just higher. Than it had been, and he and he was certainly a part of that. Mo mentioned the rear view contest. He had another play where he almost made a like he almost made a great play where there's a ball flying out of bounds, and uh, I forget which guy in the Heat was going to save it, and he read where the save was going to go. He couldn't keep the ball in bounds himself, but it was just like you know being locked in and in making anticipation plays, and just their whole team was they weren't like over rotating to the ball as they have at some other point, but they were doing a really good job of. You know, everyone on the floor would give another just a little bit of help, a little dig, a little extra hand in the in the cookie jar on the ball. And all that served to slow the ball movement of, of Miami down and really reduce them to a lot of of uh, of one on one, a lot of, you know, Jimmy pounding the ball um, where and they weren't able to get the kind of open looks that they that they got in in uh, in in game two. Um, it's interesting. They actually if, if you look at kind of some shot quality stuff they're their threes are actually slightly better overall in game three than in game two. However, there were many fewer of them that were just completely open. Uh, in the, the second half, they took 21 threes. Only three of them were uncontested. Now, they have good enough shooters that they can occasionally they can make the contested ones, but if you're getting a bunch of contested threes, sometimes you're going to go four of 18, like they did on contested threes, and you're not getting the open ones to kind of, you know, they get the three open ones in a row. That's a quick 9-0 run, quick timeout. They just didn't they didn't get those opportunities in the second half. Even if, I, if Denver had a bad possession, it was one bad possession of defense. And I think it's important also to understand how much Miami's offense dictates their defense too. Because it allows them to set up a zone. It allows them to kind of set the parameters. When they're running back in transition, then it's where you get situations where Oh crap, Kyle Lowry's on Aaron Gordon. Like that's a mismatch. We got to send a double. Like there's there's all sorts of different scenarios with some of these cross matches and it all goes back to the same stuff we keep talking about. The Nuggets are bigger. The Nuggets are 
they're the better team. Like at the end of the day, when we look at these rosters, they're the better team with, with what the talent they have. I mean, Miami has overachieved. And then when you have guys that Caleb Martin has fallen off with his shooting, uh, Struis was he started out pretty well as a playmaker. We thought, thought it was going to be the uh, Max Struis, uh, Chris Paul type game. Um, and then he kind of fell off. And I think eventually it just they couldn't get a third or fourth guy to really sort of step up for them. And then Jimmy and Bam eventually ran out of uh, juice. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's nothing more demoralizing than missing a shot and then having Jokic beat Bam down court. Which happened just it, over and over. I like I've watched so many Jokic games at this point in his career, and it's I'm never it never ceases to amaze me how in the fourth he's the fastest guy on the court in the fourth quarter every single game, and he can somehow just beat the most athletic guys in in the league to the basket and, and get it inside position every single time. It, it's it, it's he's the most like unique player that uh, of modern times for sure. I, it, it, this just hearing you say that it reminds me a little bit. I'm gonna make a. This is not a player comparison, but a former Nugget. It's almost like a. I don't want to say it's a you know ball comparison, but it is a little bit. Like people, you remember back about a decade ago, people would be like, "How do you let Andre Miller beat you?" And it's like Andre Miller's been doing this to people for a long time. And if you've been paying attention, as you said, like especially the last couple of years after he's gotten himself in really good shape. He may not look like it, but Jokic can can pick him up and put him down and get down the floor, and that's a key part of his game. I mean, frankly, I think Miami deserves credit uh, over the course of the series for how good their transition defense has been overall. I mean, you compare them to, to you know, I think Mo said this last night during the game that Anthony Davis is still trying to catch his breath yeah, from trying to, to, <laughs> trying to chase down, down Jokic. So, like, you know, yeah, it's happened once or twice to Bam. But there's there's faster players and better better athletes than Bam that Jokic has beat down the floor. I mean, and the thing he played the entire second half of Game Three. I mean, he just the the guy does not actually need rest at this sure point in the does. year. I, I, I mean, yeah. I'm sure he's. I sure he. I'm sure he rested a ton after the game. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I, think I mean, listen, more, yeah. No, I know. But the more important thing I think when you just look at it is this is the thing about Jokic that's so tough. It's almost the fact that it's so slow sometimes that it kind of catches you off guard in that regard. And in, in, in that, like, oh crap, like you you overreact. And then he because you overreact to his sl- being slow, it opened up something else for him in those opportunities and stuff like that. And I don't mean to disparage it. He's not super slow or anything. It's just like when you look at the athleticism and stuff like that, I think we would say Bam has the advantage speed-wise, but you're just saying the moves he can make on guys and how seamless it is with those things. That's what kind of just makes him such a damn tough cover. And I don't yeah. know how hard this really felt like for, um, for him at times, if like this 30 point triple double 30, 20 and 10 triple double, I don't know how hard it was. It, he, he's basically, you can't stop him inside. If he gets, if he gets on the block and he has the ball, he can just score at will. You can't leave him open from three because he's automatic. I mean, legitimately, just automatic. Every single time he puts up an open three. So you can't sag off of him because he's going to take the shot. And then if you come up, he's going to dribble around you. I mean, I, I just don't know what the options are with him. They tried, They did the thing where they turned him into a scorer, and that was successful for them. But Jamal Murray yeah. also had a bad game. Jamal Murray also had a really bad game. 
and they won by three, the Miami Heat. They had basically a perfect game, and they won by three. So I just, you know, I think that now, you know, three games in, we basically – we know what we know. The Denver Nuggets are a better team than Miami. My, Miami was going to fight an uphill battle to win this series no matter what. I think so. I'm, I, I, I made a noise there. And it's, you, you, you said the score, him. you said the, the score, turning him into score, like Denver had like a 125 offensive rating. Game yeah. They scored the ball fine. And we're focusing on the things they did offensively when I think the reason they lost game two and the reason they won game three, much more on the defensive side oh, of yeah. the ball. Yeah, and that's I think we have that's where we do have to give credit to you know Aaron Gordon, Jamal Murray battle. Like he got switched on Jimmy a couple times, and we've seen we've seen Murray kind of no contest when he gets when he ends up on a bigger guy. So didn't do that last night. Third quarter MPJ was 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 really solid. Brown obviously, Bruce Brown. They you know Caldwell Pope didn't foul three point shooters. Which no, no, no don't big, get don't let him off the hook. Yeah. He was bad. Yeah. He was bad. he was but bad. Don't let him off the hook. But I want to go yeah. back to the Jamal Murray thing. Uh, part of this is, you know, I, I watched the way they defended Jimmy Butler in the first half. Man, they were like they were they were either sending a double or shading two extra guys that way, and it was opening up shooters. I mean, just like the first two games. And I do think in the second half, Jamal Murray kind of took on the Jimmy Butler assignment a lot i mean he was waving guys off when they were trying to come over and he just did a good job i thought of, of being big you know getting his chest out keeping jimmy off the block forcing him to shoot uh you know either that floater or the fadeaway or pass out uh and then they did a better job of waiting to send the help until jimmy picked the ball up they were sending they were sending help when jimmy was getting into his post up and then later on in the game, they they waited until he picked the ball up, and it made a big difference. He was having to pass out of some of these shots that he likes to hit. They we, did a much better job of being sort of disciplined and solid. And this is sort of the this almost the psychology of three pointers going in early or not probably plays into this. Like we Mo and I rewatched a lot of game two, and and we're noting Mo, you're, you're noting how jumpy Denver was at a lot of a lot of fakes and stuff like that. It's like all right if. Uh, Caleb Martin's going to pump fake a three and jab step on you. Okay, go ahead. But he's made a couple, so now I'm jumping in the air and he's getting he's getting penetration. They did, uh, especially in the second half, like everyone across the roster, Porter Jr., Brown especially, um, they stayed down on pump fakes. They didn't they didn't overreact to moves. They were disciplined in hey, if you're going to make that shot, cool. Uh, what Bam ended up with? Uh, what he ended up with with 22 on 21 shots again. Like yeah. He, yeah, he he made some of those mid-range shots. Cool. Make it like there was one play in the game where where Bam like made an aggressive move and actually drew like contact and a foul on Jokic. Other than that, so it was again much like game one. We're fine if you score twenty some on on those shots. And I think also we have to be careful here because like we did it after game one too. Oh, Miami has no chance. It's all over. Like we're so quick to kind of say that. Well, I mean, that's just an evil genius on the other sideline. And I think the ultimate thing is, you know, Spo would just one day to kind of prepare, like he's going to have something else. I'm not ready to, I mean, like, I think, I still think Denver wins this series. It wouldn't be surprised if they win game four, but I just want to be careful of the whole like, yeah. oh, they don't have answers. If they make a couple of shots early, it changes things, you know, and it, cha it allows their defense to get set. If they're, they come out a little bit better in the second half, I don't know what we're talking about in terms of this game. Like, I think there was a level of 
from their part, some Denver's defense for sure. But I think some of it too was just like, I'm tired. We got to remember, this is a team that played a seven game series, you know, and, and, and the other team had a ton of rest. You know, when you're talking about Jokic being being so spry and, and ready to go in the fourth quarter. Yeah, he didn't have to tackle AD from games five, six, and seven. I think there's some of that stuff, but I'm just I just want to be careful in the way we're just ready to be like, ah, they there's no way they can't pull off a, a, a game four win. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover. Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Well, what sort of what, what sort of changes? Okay, because it's time it's time for Miami to to actually, you know, they got to make some changes, right? They've got to make another adjustment. What's the next move for them? Um, do you guys think? Or is it is it just a matter of play better? I mean, like, are we at that point where these two teams, like, strategically, there there are no countered moves. It's just you got to play better. Jimmy's got to play better. Bam's got to play better. I, I don't think, think some of that. Oh, go ahead. Bill. Go ahead. I, I I don't think we're at that point where it's just hey, there are no more moves. I mean, I for one would like to see Cody Zeller not play at all. And I think <laughs> you know, I, I honestly, I when Jokic goes out, I'd go small with Highsmith. I thought he's been pretty good for them in this playoff yeah. run in the limited minutes he plays, and then he doesn't play a game. You know, and I think that's something there that I think I'd rather go with him in that instance instead of uh, uh, going with, with with Zeller. I think it's just, you know, he giveth and taketh away. You know, he, one good play on the other end is a turnover on the next play, and it's just like so many different things like that from him, and I think that's that's something I would start with, I think. They need to trust their offense and their continuity in their offense more and continue to stay with it. We're not making shots. All right, run it again. It's like Novocaine, man. Just give it time. It always works kind of deal and and, and go with it. I think that would that would probably be my I, uh, last night. I think in the first quarter, we were noticing that that both teams were sort of riding their two main guys. And we're wondering, I, I was wondering more from the standpoint of, of Murray, especially because he's a guy who has looked tired later in games at times. Uh, and, but both teams really like the, the Miami's offense was very much just like Jimmy Van pick and roll uh, over and over again. And I think they need to a little balance, a little bit better balance of getting some of those, you know, those split cuts, those fake DHOs, those small, small exchanges that gave, uh, that, that gave uh, uh, Denver some trouble in game two, just a little better balance of that. And then, yeah, I think they do need, they need more, especially from Jimmy. I think we haven't, we haven't really seen much of a Jimmy, quote unquote, Jimmy game in a while. There was one play in the first half where he kind of hit Jokic with a hesitation and then exploded to the basket. And we were like, oh, maybe he's got something tonight. And that was, I'm not sure he had another really explosive play offensively other than that. And it's 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 just so important. And I just think, again, this is like the ankle injury and stuff kind of beginning to, 
to 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 hit him a little bit. And I think that's that's one of those things where like they they they're not going to win if Jimmy's going to be kind of passive Jimmy. And there are times where he's passing up on layups to make kickout plays on on you know where earlier in the playoffs he'd get into a guy's body and draw a foul. So I think that's kind of the important thing to watch for in game four is what kind of aggression we're getting from Jimmy. Well, I took a look real quick while you guys were talking there at Jimmy's stats since he hurt his ankle. Shooting 41% from the field, 31% from three. I mean, on less than three attempts a game, only 23 points. Now, at the beginning of the playoffs, when he you know, did the Jimmy Butler thing where we were all calling him Michael Jordan, it was only you know a few games, but he was shooting like 60%. And then 43% from three. I mean, it was just his shot has just completely dropped off. And you can see it, actually. It looks like he doesn't have a lot of lift. It's very flat. I mean, it, it ankle look, and I've been the guy saying this from the mountaintop since I started doing this job. We treat ankle injuries very unrealistically when it comes to NBA players. I mean, he missed one game for an ankle injury that would likely put a normal human being out for like, Six weeks. Well, none of these dudes are normal human beings. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. Like, so, I, you know, it's not surprising to me that he doesn't have, it, especially late in these games. Like, you can just see it. It's just, you know. And, and so Denver being more disciplined, not biting on those pump fakes. I mean, it's taking away options for him. You know, he he does so much of his decision making mid pump fake. You know, he passes, it makes passes that way, draws fouls that way. And that's not there anymore because I just don't think that they're as worried about it. And to get back to where we started, this is why we we thought this was a bad matchup for Miami to begin with, is because Denver's so big. Like, you know, there's stuff he could do to anyone else he's played in the playoffs where, all right, shot's not falling. I'm just going to bully you. He's not bullying Aaron Gordon. That's just not He's not bullying happen. Jamal Murray. Jamal Murray is big enough and stout enough that he can hold up to it. I mean, this is like, there isn't really a physical mismatch that Jimmy Butler can take advantage of like he could in, in previous series. I mean, Derek White couldn't hold up to this, but Murray is pretty thick. Like he, he's actually doing a, he did a good job. Like for Murray, it's about, will he fight every single time? Right. It's, it's not a question of, can he do it? It's, will he, and he did it. I thought he did a good job in the second half, but I wonder how much of that is that ankle with Jimmy. And we'll never find out because it's Jimmy Butler. And that actually, I respect that a lot. You got to buy the hundred dollar cup of coffee in order to find yeah, out. Yeah, you, you no, you do wonder though. Like, there's 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 times where it's like you get like they get a situation where Brown Christian Brown gets switched on to him, and you're oh boy, and then Jimmy gets into like his pivot bag, and Christian Brown is just staying solid, keeping his hands back. Staying. Is that Christian Brown playing good discipline defense? Yeah, if Jimmy was feeling a little bit better, if he had a little more bounce. If he had a little more explosiveness, could he slither by? Could he explode upwards instead of doing doing all these pump fakes and pivots? Maybe, but it's still, I mean, still credit again for 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 Denver for not overreacting and not slapping at the ball and not giving yeah. away the cheap fouls yeah. that uh, that a guy who's maybe struggling with his jump shot can can beast on. We talk about Miami and their conditioning. Hey, the Nuggets; those guys stay in the weight room. I mean, they, they really do like Christian Brown. You can see the strength that he's got. I mean, you know, I talked about Jamal Murray and Jokic might be, might be the strongest guy in the league. Like when you talk, when people talk about having to defend him inside. So uh, they're able to match some of that physicality and we don't think about it because, you know, they, they play such a alluring offensive style and we, we tend to think those guys are soft, but man, that team is tough. Uh, you guys got anything else before we start talking about Chris Paul? 
No, no let's this, get is, this, ball. Is, it, this has been a fun final so far. I, I like everyone worried about Denver and Miami for no good reason. Cause we don't, you know, I don't work in advertising. I work, you know, in basketball, this is great basketball and everybody's watching it. So it's good. Anyway, some news yesterday on my soft day off. News? I, well, it, new? it was something. Yeah. I mean, listen, yeah. man. It's it, news. It's news. Yeah. No, stop it. Could have done it today. Could have done it well, today. No, no, There's it's no more game just, today. It's, it's more just like there was, uh, they, they were maybe going to do something and maybe aren't going to do something. So go ahead. Sorry, Dave. Well, this is a nice soft toss to the, to the out into the zeitgeist, right? Like the, the draft is coming up. So we get the news yesterday that the Phoenix Suns have decided they're going to part ways with Chris Paul one way or the other, either trade him or waive him. There was also a possibility floated that they would waive him. And then once he cleared waivers, maybe he would re-sign with the team, which might save them some money. Um, either way, it seems like that partnership or, or whatever is about to end. You know, we we talk about Chris Paul uh, year one, year two, and then by year three, you know, we start to see things fizzle out. So it's still following that pattern. Um, but number one, Mo, I, I've got to ask you just straight up, because before we get to the Chris Paul part of this, Matt Ishbia, the owner of the, the new owner of the Suns, since he took over the team, they traded for Kevin Durant, they fired their coach, and now they're going to ship Chris Paul out of town. And it was announced, like, just it's it's been leaked, essentially. Um, this is a lot, man. Is, it, is this just new owner, new toy? Let me let me put my hands on it. I, I, I mean, feels like a I lot. Mean- I think so. I think part of it too was like there were questions of whether Monty should keep his job after that. Like, listen, it's not like he's firing a uh, the most amazing coach ever. Like, you can go look at the fact that he didn't connect at all with DeAndre Ayton, and I think some of that's on Ayton. Mm-hmm. Had issues with Jay Crowder, you know, and that would have been an important piece for them in this run, I think. And and there's a lot of stuff within that for Monty where like, yeah, okay, I could see the organization firing him. Some of it is Dave. Yes. New owner, new toy. Let's, let's do things and stuff like that. But also we were all kind of saying like, you have to do something with the CP contract. And so I don't know if it's fair to say like when they finally do something with that CP contract, Oh, what the, you know, are they doing it all, you know, all that stuff. I have questions for the reasoning for it, but I think this is one of those things. And I don't think they wanted it leaked. I think that's the thing that really hurts them in this. This leaking basically takes away any opportunity to possibly trade Chris Paul because now teams are like, oh, they're just going to waive him. And then we could try to sign him for the cheap. And he already has 15.6 million or whatever it is already banked. And I think that's something that um, might've been the the problem for them with mm-hmm. what they were going for. But I don't think this is a bad Ishbia thing with all those things. And I think every team makes that KD trade. Uh, Seth, this is, um, is this getting ahead of the news story? Uh, I mean, first of all, I'm, uh, this is, uh, this is nuclear loosh. I want to announce my presence with authority. I'm going to make the big trade. We're going to get it done. I don't care if we got to throw Cam Johnson in. I don't care if we got to put every, get it done. Um, then, you know, moving on from the coach, like any individual of these moves, is certainly defensible and we would probably like on balance agree with all of them individually it's just sort of the messiness of it the the impatience of it like yeah you're gonna move on from chris paul but why um Here's- why is the discussion to the point where maybe chris paul and his and you know, chris paul's camp feels like they need to leak it now like 
that there's some something has gone wrong for that to for that to even if everyone knows what's going on like that's a but like here's but here's but here's the thing seth how many times do we say whether privately or 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 publicly like who cares about the optics yeah it's messy it's gonna be messy there's no way you're gonna do this and it's not gonna be messy so fuck it and excuse my language sorry if you have kids listening to this uh but you know why why just like okay it's gonna be messy then let's it's let's let, let's get messy then and figure this stuff out and then go and start building a team because you only have a two or three year window with Kevin Durant if you could even keep him healthy for that long and I think that's gonna be an important aspect of it so like yeah they're gonna have to be aggressive can I can I be honest as to why I think the the, the messiness is a, is a flag for me it's new owner with shadow GM yeah that's the yeah that's like the, that's that's the, the part that's sort of the Isaiah Thomas bit is sort of floating over all of this. If it's like if it if it if there hadn't been an ownership change or it had been some rando like Walmart error or something like that that had bought the team and we didn't know who they were, and and James Jones was making these moves, we probably feel much more how you're talking about it. But it's sort of the the. I'm here. Look at me with my Hall of Fame buddy. Look at look at me keeping the basketball away from Nikola Jokic in the middle of a playoff game and flopping. Yeah, I mean that part was you know, stupid. But Mark Cuban hasn't marked it. Cuban didn't <laughs> oh, yeah, do stupid yeah, yeah. stuff when I he mean, came into the league. I mean, like no, I get it. And you're Seth. You're right about that. And I, there's a lot of things I don't like about that being the guy in charge or or shadow GMing the mm-hmm. the term you put and stuff like that. But let's also talk about. I thought they made a great hire. Frank Vogel. Yeah. I mean, it's not like they're, it's not like they're making all of these bozo decisions and things like that. It's, I thought they made a great hire right there. And we've said, you have to figure out what you're going to do with Chris Paul. You have to figure out what you're going to do with DeAndre Ayton. The options for Chris Paul, probably not that good. There, like, I mean, I mean that, like, that's the like, truth, right? Like, that's the thing is like, what else do they have that they could do? I mean, I let's, let's talk about this. So, I mean, they haven't waived him yet. They could trade him theoretically. Like again, the draft is you know coming up in a couple of weeks, so you theoretically you could trade him. But uh, I think he just makes too much money uh, on this contract. He's only guaranteed fifteen million next year. So the way like waiving him, but you have to guarantee it before, like it's like right after the draft, right? Correct? Right. So uh, they they save some money by doing that, but like it's a step back for the team. Like, I mean, how, how do the Phoenix Suns replace Chris Paul much less, you know, where do, where does Chris Paul go, which we'll, we'll talk about, but how do the Phoenix Suns, this is a team that should be competing for a title next year. If Devin Booker, they have Kevin Durant. I mean, are, are we maybe looking at a scenario where they're looking as, you know, Devin Booker is their nominal point guard and they're just looking for another wing out there to play next to him and Kevin Durant, or are they going to go out and try to find a point guard? I mean, is this a potential, Kyrie Irving's sign and trade destination. Uh, I mean, the, the options are limitless in, in a messy environment with a you know a team that that should they should they should do well next year. Like they should have a really good team. Well, next year. no, we, we have to see what the team looks like. They still have Kevin a, Durant and Devin Booker gives you a, a hell of a head start for sure. And yeah. and and. That's that's a lot, but I also think you still got to figure fill out the rest of the roster, and and mm-hmm. those are the things there with what they have. I mean, when you say like what what do they do with Chris Paul? I mean, I think the honestly the easiest decision is probably to just waive him, 
because I don't think there's a trade that brings back anything that of, of real substance. I think the major piece that will bring back pe- uh, stuff is DeAndre Ayton. And I think there's interest around the league for him. And I think you could turn him into multiple players with that. In terms of what you do in the point guard position, I think they have to get creative. I think some of it's going to fall on Devin Booker's hands. Um, I think they're going to need to find a guy uh, on the market. You know, uh, Gabe Vincent, I believe, is a free agent. I mean, that might be something, you know, like who knows? Like there's there are things that they got to try to do. They're going to have to be a creative and aggressive. That's the most important thing. I, Gabe Vincent uh, would I, actually be good there. I look forward to Gabe Vincent uh, graduating to the ranks of, ooh, that's a tough contract in, in, the, in about three months. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shea Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture-themed trophies for six basketball-related activities. Trophies like the Don- Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. I don't know, man. I, I think he's going to be a solid player. Okay, let's talk about the Chris Paul part of this. Um, I don't know what sort of contract he's going to be looking for. He could sign a veteran's minimum if he wanted to, um, which opens him up to everywhere. Uh, my assumption is he's going to try to go to a contender. I mean, this is sort of should be Chris Paul ring chasing season. Um, it, a lot of people make the assumption it's going to be one of the LA teams. Now, if it was me and I'm looking at this and I'm Chris Paul, I'm probably leaning Clippers versus Lakers just because I know I have a role on, on that team. I mean, he would be an upgrade over what they had Russell Westbrook doing this year. I think, um, what do you guys think about Chris Paul's options? And are there, is there any team that's a contender that you guys can think of where Chris Paul would be brought in to be a starter? No, that's what I was okay. going to say. My there, first that's what I needed to know. Chris Paul has to accept the Kyle Lowry role. That's what, 20 yes, to 25 I mean, minutes. Yes. And if that's that's if I'm a contender and I'm looking to sign him, I'm having that conversation with him. Look, you're not starting. I need you to come off the bench. I need you to be a good veteran leader as, as much as Chris Paul can be. I know he annoys the hell out of everybody, but I need you to be you know, solid with everything. And you have to accept this role of like 20 to 25 minutes. We need you to come in and run offense. If you were to accept that, the teams I think he'd be great on is is huge. And I think 20 to, five, 20 to 25 minutes is the sweet spot for him where you can get the most out of him. And you can point to what Lowry did this season and what he's doing right now. 
Look at how yeah. good, like Kyle Lowry has, is, is as fit and healthy this late in the year as he's been since that 2019 run. Heat culture. I mean, it, but, but also it <laughs> that was yeah. Lowry buying into the reduced role, not complaining about coming off the bench, you know, being willing to be a 25 minute a night guy and, and just do his job. But if, if Chris Paul can do that, I mean, we're, I think we're about to find out a lot about Chris Paul, to be honest with but you, because he is going to have a couple to be a levels, different guy. A couple yeah. levels, because you mentioned about like, here to four, he has been a guy who has not been super interested in taking a discount, which that's not a that's that's descriptive. That's not a that's not a judgment in any way, shape, or form. Shouldn't take like a here discount. Here to four, like there are, let's put it this way: there are aspects of the CBA we are just leaving that were in large part designed to make sure that he could get paid. He and similarly aged and situated players could get paid uh, uh, deep into their thirties. Which you know, as president of the union, you can you can do that kind of stuff. Um, but then then also accepting that role. Then he started talking, like you know, thinking about it. Like one of the biggest lacks we've seen on the Nuggets. We think the Nuggets are a very good team. One of the biggest lacks they have is they don't have another real ball handler, backcourt ball handler after Murray. And at times, especially when like Miami or other teams have extended their defense, like Bruce Brown has struggled with that a little bit. And so like. Would would twenty minutes of Chris Paul as sort of a a backup point guard and maybe swing uh, uh, Murray to the two for for some minutes? Is that interesting? Would he be would he be a, an interesting organizer on the Celtics? Would, could he help the Bucks? Like we can go we can go team. Would he? I would mean, he be an interesting pickup for the Magic. I mean, he, he, like, Orlando. I mean, so, so, there, so San the Antonio thing. would be kind of no, interesting. No, 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 no. But those are teams he's not going to go to, right? Cause he's going to want to contend like that's the let's, let's just get the, yeah. the I, I think, would love for him to do that again and recreate. Okay. See Chris Paul, that's not going to happen. And I get it too. Like he, the, the chasing the ring, do all that stuff. I honestly think Boston's a great fit for him, you know, and anybody that really has doubts and, and, you know, we have Malcolm Brogdon, we have Derek white, just go back and watch all the turnovers Jalen Brown had when he was trying to dribble with his left hand. You need I mean, somebody that can run offense in that second unit and get you organized. And Brogdon might not be there next year. I mean, like, this is the thing. And so, so this is all going to be in flux, but I think there's a handful of teams that are realistic Chris Paul destinations. And it's because, uh, like you said, contenders. So I think it's Clippers, Lakers, Nuggets, Suns, potentially, like going back to the Suns, Boston, Milwaukee, maybe think- Philly. Philly, if Harden leaves, I think and he's a good. I got a there. wild card here, guys. What if he was playing for the Warriors? I mean, like, no, what if he went not, to Golden no. State? That's not happening, Steph. If Steph's they can move gonna, Jordan, no. that's not happening. That's okay. not happening. <laughs> we're, we're, now, now we're being silly. That's um, the got, that would have been the I, ultimate. But, oh, but that would have been so good. I got, I got one I, for you. Though. All right, you got one. Let's go. Toronto would be really interesting if they lose Fred VanVleet. But they're I don't. They're just not good enough. You know, but like they that's don't, the thing. Uh, yeah, but you, you, we also got to be remember this. The other team's got to want him too. <laughs> if the <laughs> other teams don't want point. him, like yeah. I mean, there's an element of that. But he could come in there and put those guys in offense and kind of, I think, help Scotty Barnes get into the flow yeah. of being a playmaker and take some of that off. He, he, Fred Van Vliet's great. He's a better playmaker than Van Vliet. Oh yeah, and I think that's something that's really interesting. I think Toronto's an interesting spot for him. I, look, the I thing is, Chris Paul is still good. A, like, I just want to, I just want to know. I'm making like I'm laughing about this a lot because he's old, but he's still good. It's right. just a matter of he's not. You know, this is not 2008, Chris Paul. This is 2023, and we got to like 
look at it accordingly. What were you going to say, Seth? I, I, I just think we three, a couple of teams that we've mentioned, it's, there's a little bit of a, of a, of a difficulty there in, you've got a first year head coach in Milwaukee in Adrian Griffin. You've got a first full year head coach in, in Boston in Joe Missoula, who's like five years younger than Chris Paul. Which, by the way, uh, bringing in Sam Cassell was a great move yeah, for him. Yeah, so. I, I I, mean, I, we haven't heard a ton out of Toronto, but I think it's likely at this point we're probably getting a first-time head coach uh, based on the fact that we haven't like heard a lot of the old names. Um, so we have a first-year head coach in Toronto and just wondering on a team that's trying to contend if, if that if – that, that that's a reason why those teams aside from help on the floor might be a little reticent to uh, upsetting the apple cart in that way. Now, maybe you might argue that, well, good, you know, get uncomfortable. That's like how the heat do business is they get uncomfortable and they, they are better for it. But I think that would be a reason why teams that who otherwise should be interested in him might not be. What about Dallas? Dallas, like, is that interesting to you guys at all? Chris Paul playing with Luka Doncic and, and potentially even Kyrie Irving, if he's there, like backing up Kyrie. No, they need, they need to actually have defenders and wings. Like they, they, their attitude can't be, let's go get another small guard in, in their position. And I think that would not be uh smart for them. Yeah. Well, wherever he goes, I hope it's somewhere fun. I hope it's a, uh, I hope it's at least uh Somewhere that makes some sense and isn't just, uh, oh, well, they gave me more money, uh, so I'm going to go play for Would the Would New Orleans Hawks. be interesting? Ooh. Maybe. What is New Orleans? I mean, that's a question. That's that's <laughs> a, probably that's an off-season question once we see what they're doing. feels like a good place for us to wrap they, up, guys. There's a lot going on. We don't, we, we don't want to talk about the goings no, on. And I, I don't want to talk. I don't want to go anywhere okay, nope, nope, near nope. anything that's happening nope. in New Orleans right now. I don't now. know what you guys are talking about. Not There's that no kind of show. Thing. Shout Nothing out to Jay King for keeping me in the loop on that in the group chat. I really appreciate it. Uh, shout out to you guys for listening. This has been Nerder. She wrote, on the Athletic NBA show, for Seth Partnow and Moda Kiel, I'm Dave DeFore. Enjoy game four of the finals, guys. We're almost done. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.